Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that looks at performance and community issues related to cars and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we have news stories, including the total vehicle sales for 2022, Polestar aims for vehicle performance, can heated seatbelts give your electric vehicle a greater range, and electric vehicle technology makes it onto boats. And in our feature segment, we road test the Toyota 86 sports car and we get an artist's impression of the distinctive-looking new Peugeot 308 GT. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au. This program was originally this program was originally broadcast on the 28th of January 2023, and we begin with the news. A total of over 1,081,000 vehicles were delivered in Australia in 2022, a year when demand exceeded supply. This is 3% higher than 2021, but some of this perceived growth could be a consequence of Tesla not reporting their sales volumes in 2021. In 2022, Tesla sales represented 1.8% of the Australian market. The total for 2022 represents nearly 3,000 vehicles per day for every day of the year, or one every 29 seconds. Tony Webber, the CEO of the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries, noted his view of the biggest trends in the recent year past. There's two really interesting car buying trends in 2022. One being the growth of SUVs and light commercials. They now represent more than three quarters of all sales in the market, which is quite extraordinary. The second thing has been the growth of EVs and other low emission vehicles and combined they represent around about 10% of the market. So there have been substantial changes in both those areas. Polestar, the all-electric vehicle manufacturer headquartered in Sweden, has shown its hand in the performance race for electric vehicles. They have upgraded their Polestar 2 five-door electric fastback which is classified as a medium-sized sedan and is currently their only vehicle on sale in Australia. All variants now have their next-generation electric motors and inverters. The new motor has a power output of up to 220 kilowatts, an increase of 29%, and 490 newton metres of torque, an increase of 48% over the base model. The 0 to 100 kilometre an hour time has been reduced down to 6.2 seconds, but up to 350 kilowatts are available with the optional performance pack and a 0 to 100 kilometre an hour time as low as just 4.2 seconds. The Polestar 2 first entered into the premium EV market segment in 2019. It was the first car in the world to feature an infotainment system powered by Android Automotive OS with Google built in. Ensuring occupant comfort can drain power from an electric vehicle because the heating system cannot draw on the waste heat of an internal combustion engine. Instead, the heat for the entire interior has to be generated from the battery power. ZF is a global technology company supplying systems for passenger cars, commercial vehicles and industrial technology. They realised that it would be more efficient to warm occupants directly by means of electric heating elements, similar to an electric blanket. This is the principle used for heated seats and steering wheels. Now, ZF have developed a heated seat belt that warms the upper body and pelvic area evenly from the front. 
In combination with heated seats, the heated seat belts has the potential to provide all-round occupant comfort quickly. They say that reducing the amount of battery current used to heat the interior of a vehicle may enable the range of a vehicle to be increased by up to 15%. The development of electric vehicles for the road may also have benefits for other forms of transport. The Swedish company Candela says their ultimate purpose is to speed up the transition to fossil fuel-free lakes and oceans. Their new Candela C8 is the first product from a partnership with the vehicle company Polestar. A traditional 7.5-metre boat consumes about 15 times more fuel than an average family car, leaving a heavy footprint on our planet. The Candela C8, powered by Polestar, is a hydrofoil design and is intended to use the same 69-kilowatt-hour battery pack and DC charging technology as the Polestar 2 sedan standard-range single motor. Candela expects a range of up to 57 nautical miles, that's about 105 kilometres, on one charge at a cruising speed of 22 knots. Comparing favourably with internal combustion engine powerboats and with a high-speed range two to three times longer than conventional electric speedboats. And that has been the news. The Toyota 86 and the Subaru BRZ are an example of badge engineering. They're in many ways the same car, certainly the same drivetrains. Uh, we've driven the BRZ and uh, went to the launch at Eastern Creek Raceway, but now we've driven the Toyota 86 as well. And this one was the manual version. Well, who better to test a manual sports car than our good friend and Lotus owner, Evan Jones? G'day, Evan. Hey, mate. How are you? Let's start with the fact that Toyota runs a competition series for these, don't they? How, how, who's that open to and how, do I, how would I join? It's open mainly, I think, to younger drivers with lots of money. That's not an official prerequisite. It's just an essential one. Yeah, especially after you've painted it three times. Yeah, so it's mostly open to young up-and-comers uh, who have got uh, who do seriously have access to, to money and sponsors because the series is probably, next to Supercars, it's probably one of the best televised series in, in the country. Really? I think that's its big uh, appeal for the young up-and-comers because they get the chance for exposure, which therefore gives them the opportunity to get a decent sponsor. Or to go crazy. That's one way to find out how deep the well is, yeah. The well of money and the well of talent? Yeah, well, you usually find out the well of talent's fairly shallow and, yeah, the, the well of money is not as deep as you'd hoped. I know someone that had been involved a little in watching the administration of it, uh, not you, but uh, someone else who said that one of the biggest problems is you've got about 20 or 30 guys there wanting to make well, and that's fine. The great problem is you have about 20 or 30 fathers who probably have the money, well, in most cases have the money behind them, and they have possibly got the money by being uh, strong-willed. And uh, that can create a problem. So an and interesting little thing. So you, you basically they're standard cars that you do with, with, with the roll bar? Yeah, there's a full cage goes into There's some other minor modifications. Definitely full cage. There's control wheels, a number of other control components, which converts the car from a road car to a race car. It's, it's controlled uprights and things like that. I presume they don't take automatics on there. Ours was a manual. The one we drove today, we drove, which was the Gazoo Racing, the GR. 
Let's go through the GR. Did you fit in and feel comfortable? No and no. I'm probably, uh, my dimensions would be more suited to um, NASCAR racing probably. No, but that, the, most of the blokes you see in those cars are about half the size I am. Um, the seat, you, like I got used to it but, and it's snug, but uh, I wouldn't call it comfortable. But then again, it's not aimed at a person, my, uh, a person our size. The layout, the dash. I like the dash. It's uh, your typical uh, Toyota Logic, which is a a compliment, actually. Um, It was easy to work out where everything was. I will admit I dipped into the uh, owner's manual once or twice, which um, is refreshingly easy to read. Oh. Yeah. That makes it an exception, really, rather than the rule. Mm, I was looking up things about the, the track option on it to get a bit more background on it. It was, yeah, it was easy to find, easy to read. I like the dash. Um, and as I say, if you do go into the track option, your instrumentation display changes quite considerably. Um, so there's no mistaking what mode you're in when you drive. Gear change, neat. The feel of the gearbox is very nice. The clutch, not so much. But the gearbox is, is lovely. It's a lovely feel to it. It's a very short throw. Very short throw, actually. But the clutch lacks uh, feel. It's hard to feel where, you're, where, where the clutch takes up. And you can't rely on the engine noise because the engine noise is absolutely horrible. Horrible in the sense that it's not exactly a sporty roar, is it? No. It's, to me, it sounds like oh, we, we need to stick a muffler on this so it can get registered. And I think they've been planning to rip it off when they take it to the track. But uh, no, the, the, sound, the sound's terrible. Once you start revving it, and it's redlined at 7,500 revs per minute, that's pretty good. It gets a little bit better then. And, of course, it's not the turbo Subaru engine, is it? No, it's a two-and-a-half-litre box of four. And it's, it's interesting, as you say, yeah, it revs out to seven-and-a-half quite easily, but it's got bags of torque around two. Hmm. Clutch operation aside, it wouldn't be a difficult car to drive around in traffic, as we've discovered, because of the, the engine's very, very flexible. It's a big tick to Subaru. It's a Subaru engine, being a quad cam flat four. So six gears are enough? Oh, yeah, for sure, because you don't want any more. I get confused enough for six. So a nice little plus, which I wish my cars had, despite it being a manual, the dash tells you what gear you're in. Now, I think when you've got a, a gate the size of uh, with, with effectively seven notches in it, it's good to know which gear you're in without having to look at the gear lever. Even just in getting used to it. So if you naturally pull it into neutral, it'll go to the centre, and if you just push it up or down, it's third or fourth. Yep. I found having the number in front of me rather reassuring too because as you're driving along, you can be in fifth gear. It can be doing this, you know, the 100, 110 quite comfortably. You either got to look at the taco or, and know what that means or look at what gear you're in. Correct, yes. Of a car, a sports car, which is a six-speed, and uh, yeah, it's a lovely sounding car. But for, I have to check, I have to look at the taco and the speed to realise oh, I'm in X gear. So yeah, it doesn't have the WRX turbocharged engine, but to some degree that means you then got to drive it. If you do, uh, I entered a motorway, and so I had to accelerate up, and it just felt. Like it wasn't such a short, sharp blip. It was one that felt good and you had time to feel it. I quite enjoy driving a car that's not, well, almost overpowered. Is there such a thing? 
<laughs> Sorry about that. Um, no, I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, and I, in my dim dark past, I had a WRX for ten years. Actually, it's the longest I own, I've ever owned a registered car, and uh, that's the beauty of that that engine. It's so flexible. It just winds out nicely and very, very easily. Winds out nicely. I like that. Now, tell me about the suspension and that. Did it feel like a sports car? Did it handle like one? Yes. Yeah. It's not unpleasant. Not for me, anyway. It was a bit jiggly, but it it held the road well. Some cars have sprung so hard that they actually bounce so much they actually lose traction. Uh, this thing was good. It, it handled uh, the ruts and that on the road quite well, despite the firmness of the suspension. So that I thought that was sorted out quite well by Toyota. Even in track mode? Yeah, yeah, even in track mode. I think from what I could gather, the, the biggest difference between track mode and normal mode, besides the traction control being turned off, is that the throttle became a bit more responsive. But I don't think it changed the suspension at all, not in my experience anyway. That throttle response, I think, is one of the most critical elements of enjoying a car, to my mind. You have something in electric vehicles uh, at the top of the heap when it comes to that, that uh, as immediate as possible response just gives you that sense of having the power on tap immediately. I, I enjoy a car that has good throttle response. Absolutely, particularly so if you're pulling out of a terminating road of a T intersection and you want to turn right, you want to get past the traffic before it turns up and starts to share your space. And I have had that experience where you've gone to go, you've put your foot down, the traction control's kicked in, so everything's headed, headed for a while, and you suddenly wonder, will I get out of the way of the semi-trailer? That's a bit scary. So yes, when you want your throttle response not the computer making the decisions for you. Look, it's milliseconds, but it's also psychological, isn't it? That's like an eternity. <laughs> <laughs> the look of it, is it a pleasant car to look at from your point of view? I like the shape better than the old one. I think it's a, um, it's, it's a smoother shape. It's certainly not as busy. Might it blend into the traffic a bit too much for some people? Yeah, possibly. But no, I like it. I think it's a nice-looking car. It's a neat little car. Years ago, when I first drove them, it reminded me of the sort of feeling and look of an Austin Healey Sprite. Not necessarily as a, a replica of it, but just that overall image of the neat little car. And ours was white, as was that one I drove many years ago. And that, and, and that little white sports car sort of had flashbacks for me. Actually, they really should market it more as a sports car and save some weight and ditch the rear seats. <laughs> Anyone over five foot four is going to have the seat up against the back seat. So ditch the seats and have more luggage room. I think I have actually been in the back of one, but my legs weren't down in the well and under the seat of the in front of me. I think they were sort of sit, I was sitting sideways, possibly not legal. But there we go. Evan, it's always a joy to hear your words, particularly about a sports car. And uh, I think you've just uh, supercharged your Lotus, which um, I hope is going well for you as well. It's going gangbusters now, yes. All right, mate. Good to talk to you. And thanks for all your help during the year. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. And that's Evan Jones, who helps us road test, a great motorsport administrator and a lover of sports cars as well. You're listening to Overdrive. 
Dean, you are, of course, our resident artist, but you're also our resident geologist. You have been out in the great outback and not only painting landscapes, but helping mining companies mapping out things to do with discovering minerals and such. Now, the colour of this car is olivine. Olivine, yes, David. Now, look, look let me just uh, let me just emphasise that geologist, not by profession, just by general interest. That's all. A lover of cars and of rocks and minerals, and and here we can combine both of them. So, olivine is known for its colour, isn't it? Uh, yes, it's uh, olive by nature. Olivine is a pretty common rock uh, rock forming mineral. There's a gem variety of olivine called peridot which is a lovely translucent olive green mineral. Olivine is, it is, it is pretty common, but look, the colour is, is very accurate. It's, uh, yeah, it's got that lovely deep green sheen to it. The Peugeot olivine colour is lovely. Isn't it wonderful to see a car, to see colour in a car now, which is not white, black, <laughs> grey, or silver, or that most dreadful sludge grey colour, which is just, it's like a pandemic at the moment amongst all the carpets. Look, let's not get started on that. The Peugeot metallic green is lovely. Seeing it this afternoon in sunlight was lovely. It's a lovely colour, yes. It looks dark at a distance and if it's in the shade, but the more Mm. sunlight and the closer you get, the more translucent or else it becomes more yes you can see there's a, there's a depth there's a depth of color and a richness to it which i think is lovely it's, it's a lovely color and i guess yeah. i'd be happy to have that in in my garage uh, anytime now let's have a look at the shape of it from the side when it's standing on its own does it give us a certain perception of size it's interesting. Without having anything to compare it to uh, beside it, you would think, oh, it looks a big car. It looks long. It's got a quite a sedan sort of length. Then it's got a kind of SUV height to it in terms of the actual body height. But then it's a car. It's sitting low to the ground. It's interesting. Yeah. I. Um, it's got uh, a long nose to it, but a, a, a stubby tail in a way. Well, yeah, not exactly. Too extreme, yeah. but it's sort of coming part hot hatch, part almost crossover with SUV pretensions almost to it. Yes, yeah, certainly. And I think the stubby tail probably also uh, is an advantage in that it gives pretty good re- rear headroom, I'd hope. Uh, in the, uh, the boot lid that opened, showed us a pretty good size rear boot capacity. There's a bit of front overhang, but I think that's an optical illusion, David, because of the stubbiness of the tail. I feel as though the apparent overhang at the front is probably not really accurate. It'd be, it would be interesting to actually get some measurements against other popular cars. Being the front of it, it's not that sort of low-slung Peugeot sedan that you get in the 508. It has got a bit of depth of grill there, which is pushing towards an SUV look. Yes, certainly, David. Yeah, the 508 is strictly uh, strictly the, the Peugeot sedan, and, and it's lovely too. I really like the styling of that. But here, the, uh, the 308, yes, it, it looks kind of more like an SUV. It's got that bit of bulk in the front view, but yet it doesn't have the sort of extreme 
vertical frontness that some of them have got. Maybe it's the interesting grille at the front or the the very clever use of the headlights, I think, take away a little bit from the bulkiness of the front appearance in that it's a very intelligent use of the headlights and the running lights or, or uh, uh, the in- co- combined, I guess, indicator and running lights, which are lovely sort of thin strips of LED lighting that angle downwards uh, to the front of the car and the quite nice of honeycomb uh, grille. And the brand new Peugeot logo, front and centre on the front of the car, which is really nice. So I do like the new the, the logo. It's uh, it's thoroughly Peugeot, but it's uh, it's quite modern, which is good. And isn't it nice to see the actual car, the model number on the front of the car, three hundred eight? Oh, that's lovely. That's uh, it's so reminiscent of those lovely old Peugeots of the past, the four hundred four and the five hundred five. Lovely cars, and so distinctively Peugeot. I find that the headlights aren't stuck on as almost an afterthought or almost as something different that had to be coped with. But I also find that down below the headlights there, there there are creases and that, but there's not that many dents and the third dimension of it. It's a fairly flat panels there with enough bling, if you like, to give it some style but not in the sense of like a Toyota CHR. Oh, yeah. Where things jut out and protrude. Oh, absolutely, David. Yeah, good observation. It's a clever design because it still has, there's some angularity about the, uh, the design, but there's overall a kind of smoothness to it. It's a great combination of the two, of angularity and smoothness, uh, whereas you quite look you quite rightly point out the Toyota CHR, which is just, it's angles everywhere. And uh, think of some Honda Civics, uh, you know, which is just, uh, there's angles everywhere. You'd cut yourself on, on the angles. They're so sharp. But the Peugeot strikes a nice balance between that. I like it. Yeah, I think it's, it, it's a very nice, livable design. Certainly shows a sort of flatness, but not the blandness of the particular model. Now, here around the front, you can see down below there are these vents that let in just near the number plate to the side of the number plate. But that that bit to even further around looks almost like it's a great indentation, yet it has a flat smoothness when you get close to it. Yeah, there are some clever indentations in the, the smooth sort of shape. But yeah, there are some Particularly, as you say, David, in the front lower quarter, there's some artificial sort of thin-like vents. I suppose the designers would defend them and say how essential they are. Too, too aggressive, I think. It's got, it's yeah. got, it blends well. Now, the back, which I think with the lower down exhaust pipes, and I, do you like those rear lights? I think they're a reflection almost, if you pardon the pun, of the... The front a little bit, but distinctive in the back. And again, the 308 that is clearly and proudly proclaims what sort of car model it is. Yeah, the rear view is, it's okay. It's quite pleasant. It's, once again, they've struck a nice balance between angularity and uh, and smoothness. And uh, yes, I quite like the, I quite mm-hmm. like the shapes on the back. Some cars have, have recently had, you know, plastic panels bolted to the sides of them or... Uh, or two-tone colour shapes added to the sides and backs of the cars. In fact, there is one at the bottom of the Peugeot I see there. That's, mm. that's a sort of a panel below the 
the rear uh, around the, the number plate. Uh, we'll forgive them for that. But the, the rest of the rear treatment uh, I find pretty pleasing, yes. Yeah. It doesn't look over busy, yet it does look stylish. Now, Dean, from the side, you notice something. Our colleague Evan and I were perhaps not as attuned with your artistic eye about the <laughs> indentation around the back door handle. You reflected on it, perhaps not as positively as the designers might have liked. The indentations in the panels, I think, are really pretty well done, except I was a little worried about the indentation around the rear door handle, which from several, it looked as though it was actually a dent in the... It does look like that from particular angles, but perhaps only by highlighting it do we make it a particular issue. The roof... Ours in a GT Premium had yep. a, a sunroof, which could come back, but looked rather different once it was opened, wasn't it? Yes, it looks kind of like a, an aerofoil, uh, something to <laughs> some sort of aerodynamic device on the back of the car. But it opened seamlessly, and it certainly was nice to be in the car with a bit of looking up at some sky. Uh, Dean, you're six foot three or so. Yes, I found that at about six foot, I still had to adjust my getting into the car of making sure I put my bum in first and bent down and got my head under. The roof line, while it may look a little bit SUV from the side, it certainly still had a roof line you had to get your head under. <laughs> Whilst it looks a little bit like an SUV in, in profile, it presents all the difficulties of getting into it as a car does when you're <laughs> particularly used to just popping into an SUV and then all of a sudden you realise you've got to actually slide down and into the car. But once you're in it, it's a comfortable space. Not an enormous amount of headroom, but acceptable enough. And I was pretty comfortable. You drove it around the urban area a bit. How did you cope? Well, I found it very enjoyable, David. I mean, there were three of us in the car, three bulky blokes, and it's extraordinary to think that it's a 1,200cc turbocharged three-cylinder. I found it, it it was delightful to drive, no problems at all. Uh, there was a, a really uh, impressive amount of pickup in the car. It was, uh, it was sharp, it handled well, as much as you could do in a 50-kilometre urban uh, environment, but it was a delight to drive, and I, I, I enjoyed it. Yes, yes, certainly. Overall, Dean, as you would say that uh, you'd be proud to have it in the driveway? Oh, quite happy to. I would love to uh, drive it without two other bulky blokes that were in the car <laughs> at the same time. And uh, I would think it would be, uh, it would be nippy and uh, very responsive with a few less kilograms in it. But it's quite remarkable, David, for a 1,200cc cylinder car. That's uh, quite extraordinary, I thought, yeah. So, Dean, it had that little badge on the side, which is resplendent to my mind of something like a Fiat 500. <laughs> yeah, David, it brings back, it brings back uh, uh, memories of, uh, of the distant past when manufacturers would put the, the logo of their car uh, on, on the front sort of mudguard uh, in front of the, the, um, uh, the, the front quarter of the yeah. car. And yeah. the prancing horse of the Ferrari or the raging bull of the Lamborghini or the Alfa Romeo often did it too. There was, a, there was often the, 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 the four-leaf clover, the clover leaf of the Alfa Romeo just on that front quarter of the car. And here's Peugeot doing it again. I think it's lovely. I, think it, I, I like it, yeah. I think it just adds a badge of pride. 
So pride, exactly, David. There's pride in manufacturing and pride in ownership there, which is lovely. Yeah, there's a plug-in hybrid coming out, which will have well, 80% more horsepower, kilowatt power than uh, this one. I think that will be quite a bit of a more hot hatch sort of feel to it as well. Yeah, David, that sounds uh, something to really look forward to. Yes, yeah. I must say, too, uh, uh, that that particular Peugeot steering wheel, uh, it's not actually a wheel. It's kind of like a hexagon or an octagon. I don't know. It's got flat sides, flat tops and bottoms and that. But uh, I found it really interesting and unusual to use. And uh, I think I'd like to, I would like to get used to using it. I think it would be interesting, yeah. The whole interior layout was interesting, very contemporary, lots to get used to with 3D, apparently 3D instrument there. It did take a bit of getting used to, didn't it? It did. Initially, hopping straight into the car was a little confusing, but uh, I would like to take the chance to uh, uh, to get to be more familiar with it. I think it would be good to use. Yeah. Dean, lovely to talk to you. Thanks very much, mate. Thanks, David. Good to be with you. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Evan Jones, Dean Oliver, Rob Fraser and Mark Wesley for their help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.